We would like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which Wirroni is created. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that the name Wirroni was taken from the Wadiwadi nation without permission and we are striving to do better for future reconciliation. And welcome to, hang on, welcome back to another week of Shower Thoughts. Is that my radio show name? <laughs> I still can't remember. It's been four weeks. Um, here with me today is my radio editor. I actually don't know your name. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm Rosie. Oh yeah, I'm Rosie. Sorry, I'm so I'm so sorry. I um, as you can tell, the Shower Thought really hit hard, so you don't remember people's <laughs> name or your own show name. Um. It is a bit unfortunate that our guest speaker have gone Mia on me today, but that's okay. I'm sure we can still hit it off somehow. We have a good chat. Mm-hmm. Something that's been really, um, well, it's not bothering me that much, but it mildly is bothering me lately, is pseudo-feminism. Rosie, you've told me before we come to the show, I know nothing about fem- pseudo-feminism, but um, we are here, so we're going to just go into it blindly. Don't roast us. This is purely personal opinions half the time. Um, but no, so I spent too much time procrastinating and watching TikTok instead of actually studying and doing my assignment. And the one thing that's been popping off lately is people's reaction to Snow White, the remaking. Um, I personally don't really think too much about like whether... She is not as white as Snow White is meant to be. I mean, who cares? We got Cinderella that was not white before and same with Little Mermaid recently. So the skin color is not the problem here. But the one thing that I find very interesting is how she's been promoting the movie to be like, you know, super feministic because Snow White will no longer be the princess who just wait for the prince to come and save her. But instead, Snow White will now be the leader that she's meant to be and go out there and, like, you know, prove to the world that she is the leader that she's meant to be. And that's the one thing that I think a lot of people are quite frustrated about recently. Um, And I personally find it to be a very interesting point as well because feminism, do we always have to be a leader? of feminism um mm-hmm. for somebody who's been completely out of this debate and conflict um when we say she's being pushed to be a leader what do you mean by that i think what she meant is that well according to like the interview she said like it's not 1939 anymore women don't just sit at home and wait for like people to come save them um women are now like going out there like doing what they're meant to do lead the world you know become more than just a housewife, a princess, whatever I think her idea of feminism is against in this stage. I think that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition almost because when we think of, or at least when I think of feminism, it's having the choice to do whatever you Mm. want to do. But um, it's also, I think, really important that we're telling girls and the next generation that you don't, need to wait around to be saved like I do kind of agree with that that Mm. you are enough by yourself you can save yourself maybe we don't need to push the point that you need to lead the world to do it but 
I think that's part of being able to do whatever we want to do and having the choices to um, control our lives is knowing that we have the capacity to stick by those choices and to see it out and we won't need to you know fail and need to be saved halfway through mm. I think like it's also it's not just like particularly feminism as well it's hard to a point overall I think part of being human is that we have our high and lows um so there are times when you can just fail and you can go out there and seek help from others if you need to. And I think the whole idea of pushing it to be like, you have to be a leader to, you know, be feministic. In a sense, it feels a little bit like toxic masculinity for me. The whole idea that you have to, you know, be strong and you can't seek help per se. Really? It's a bit strange. <laughs> no, I never thought about it like that. That's like, I can even... So I study STEM and especially computer science. As you can mm. imagine, there's the very you know um, big ratios between men and women. Um, well, I guess men and everybody's not men <laughs> in the lectures. Um, and you can definitely start to see the emerging thing of uh, the non-male-identifying students um, wanting to do everything by themselves. Mm. They have to be you know, perfection, because they're representing everybody, and that includes, they don't want to ask for help, and they don't want to do, um, you know, do anything that might make them seem stupid, answering mm. questions in lectures, and I think that is one of the things that has maybe backfired in a way. Mm. I think it's also, it's like, in that case, it made you a bit more self-conscious about what you do as well. Um, I know in recent years, there's been a push to be, you know, positivity, whether it be about possible about yourself, possible about what you do, confidence and all that. But I think if you push people too hard to, you know, don't seek, like don't sit around and wait for other people to help you and you have to like go out there and do your own things. With the point that you were mentioning about like how people feel the need to always prove themselves, it's also like, well, how would that affect like our confidence as well? Because like, yes, you might seem confident as an outsider, but are you yourself truly confident in what you're doing? Because I think deep down, we always like questioning if what we're doing is enough or is it like the right thing to do? Definitely. I mean, there's that whole thing of fake it till you make it. Right? <laughs> and we're kind of told if you don't feel confident, just pretend. Um, you know, don't ask for help. You just kind of need to pretend you're confident. And eventually, in the future, at some point, it's all <laughs> going to become okay. Yeah, some say you would trust, believe in what you're like, you know, telling yourself. Hmm. I thought it was really interesting as well. I've been recently, like, I was talking to um, my career advisor at ANU, and it was really interesting because she was kind of telling me about, like, in, in your life, you kind of see career and that's, like, a selling point. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to go and get a job, you are trying to sell yourself to the next person. But she also said, like, but if you yourself don't believe in yourself, how can you convince the other person that you are the good enough and the right person to do the job that, you know, you're trying to apply for? And I think this apply in the same concept, you know, back to what we're talking about as well. Okay, we can fake it till we make it, but, like, if we ultimately still don't believe in ourselves that we are capable and worth it, then can we really tell other people that we are worth it, you know? Sometimes you, even if you don't believe that you can do it, you kind of need to take the plunge. Mm. And um, I think that's something that, not to too generalize and stereotype, but I do think that's something that um, 
women maybe struggle with a little bit more. Like, there was this really interesting study I was told about, and it was a couple years old, I think. I can't remember exactly when it was done, but they were looking at kind of the qualifications they men versus women have when they apply for a job. And they were seeing that women only applied for a job if they had 100%, if not more, of the qualifications. Mm -hmm. Men, on the other hand, would apply for it if they had 60%. They're like, I'll give it a go and I'll learn on the job. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a mixture of having confidence in your ability, the abilities that you have now, but also in your ability to learn new things and new skills. I think it's kind of that balancing act of being able to sell yourself that I can learn and I can grow and I have confidence in that ability and not just sell yourself as you are now. Mm. I feel that. I do struggle every now and then to, like, actually... Because, like, even now when I'm applying for jobs, right, if I look at a job and there's a title that doesn't match, like, what I think I'm capable of, I'll be like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) You know, um, I'm not sure if it applies the same to men because I've I've not seen it. But I know that my boyfriend, like, he applies for... Sometimes he also is like me. If he see a job and he's like, nah doesn't look like it's gonna match me he just passed but he also applied for some obscure job that i'm kind of like that's got nothing to do with what you're studying (laughs) um so yeah i think there's a little bit of that there but i think it's also down to like personality and like upbringing as well definitely yeah and i guess that comes back to disney of you know during our upbringing what are we seeing who are role models all of that yeah i'm i'm actually I'm wondering about that as well. I mean, like, it's one thing for Disney to try and, like, remake all this film, perhaps to try to remodel the characters for new generation of girls coming up. But it's also, I think, entirely possible for them just to make a new film completely so that you have an opportunity to embrace those who choose not to do, you know what they want to do and also acknowledge the new change that are coming as well yeah. there's definitely something to be said for you know being original versus remaking the same movie for the 10th time mm. but yeah i just feel like um it's just that remaking a classic that is so well loved for a completely different reason i don't think anyone ever watched snow white and like how dare Snow White just be a corpse and let another guy kiss her, which in itself is a bit weird. Um, I I do agree in the point that it's a bit weird that this guy just come up and kiss a corpse. Like again, it's fairy tale. <laughs> you got a woman who can shape shift, and like the biggest concern you got is him kissing a corpse. <laughs> um, There's definitely something to be said for fail- fairy tales and you know all those kind of myths representing society at the time. And, and it's kind of interesting to see, well, in a classic form, what did they show? What were the values that they showed? And, you know, maybe we don't agree with those values. Um, and we think that they could be, uh, how we perceive them, we think they could be better and they could treat different people better. But it's still part of history, right? And so mm. like having a new fairy tale that kind of encapsulates now modern times more, it mm. could be more relevant for us versus just trying to remake a historical period to suit ourselves but to the other side of it as well like this historical period also make a part of our culture um quite frankly as much as we want to like change culture it doesn't just happen overnight it happened over like a very very long extended period of time but even then it is still part of our identity 
And I think like by completely scrapping it off and saying that nah, we're going to rewrite it completely, that's great and all, but it's also feel like you're kind of just disregarding a part of our society somewhere that's still holding on to those values. I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong, but it's it might be something that have, you know, meanings to them. Mm. It's very interesting too. I recently started writing um well I'm re- I'm thinking of writing my thesis, like my honor thesis onto reinterpretations of like Greek mythology in um modern time, especially in like how it relates to feminism. And I find it like really interesting that the myth of Persephone is of uh, one of my interests. Um in the original myth, Persephone was like kidnapped. They usually like caught the rape of like Persephone, but it's more like she was just kidnapped out of her own will, taken away from her family. Um, but the thing that I find really interesting when I was talking to my supervisor about this is that the in the modern reinterpretation of it, they paint this as almost like a love story. Like she was in love, like infatuated with Hades and like she willingly go to Hades. She was kidnapped and all that. See, that's great but it's just that this whole rewrite dismissed the fact that in the original myth she was a kid she was kidnapped completely and by virtue of us romanticizing this relationship in order to provide her with a voice to indicate that she was actually an icon a feminist icon because she went there on her own will not because she was taken against her will we kind of like it's almost like romanticizing Stockholm Syndrome, you know. She was still kidnapped, <laughs> no matter what you think about it. It's kind of interesting that they felt the need to do that because being a victim and having bad things happen to you doesn't diminish your ability to be a feminist and mm. have, you know, be a leader and be whatever you want to be. Yeah. Coming back from those experiences can be, you know, incredibly challenging. People who do it are, like, really impressive. So it's interesting that they felt the need to do that to show that she could be a feminist. Yeah, I also thought it was very interesting because like the myth itself, Persephone obviously got kidnapped and she later on became queen of the underworld. She became very powerful as a goddess. But in modern reinterpretation, it's more like she willingly chose to go. She fell in love with him. And yes, she still became queen of the underworld. But something about it diminished that her role of like, the goddess of the underworld, you know. It just feel like it's lessened somehow. Hmm. Maybe it's, you know, she made the decision to go, which is within her rights, I guess, in this modern retelling. But when she was there, it was given to her versus she survived this m- like horrifying period and kind of emerged victorious on the other end mm. versus just like, here you go, thanks for being my wife. Let's give you this position. Yeah, I think so. I um I also find it really interesting because like, the original myth was written in like a patriarchal society. A society where basically like women kinda got no rights at all whatsoever. Like I kid you not, it was like women always had to stay indoor. You can't go outside, you can't go to social gathering. In fact you can't even have social gathering in your own home unless your husband was there. It was like a very strict um society. But even then I find it particularly like fascinating that the original myth, in a sense, highlights so much of woman griefs in this whole process. Like, 
Persephone not being able to see her mother, but it's also the myth itself is an explanation of seasons. So when Persephone was kidnapped, her mother, Demeters, was like so upset she stopped growing crops for half a year in protest and the whole world went into ruin because there was no food going anywhere growing anywhere and so Zeus the god of the king of the gods um ended up having to compromise and allow Demeter to see her daughter again and that in itself I find really fascinating like you're talking about a myth that was written in patriarchal society yet they still emphasize on this like woman emotions but it also emphasize on how women can also push for their own agendas despite being not as powerful or as equal as men but i feel like that whole aspect is completely dismissed in modern myth or the retelling of a myth these days because she willingly choose to go there's no agent of her you know fighting for that power anymore if that make any sense that's really interesting yeah mm. because you know on one hand you would have persephone herself going through this crisis that she no longer goes through mm. but then her mother would kind of just let her go in the modern retelling i'm guessing and it's less about how you can make a difference just by you know i guess loving somebody which i think is a really nice message mm. But actually, in um, modern retelling, her mom is usually painted as like a very controlling mother. Oh. So it's like, instead of saying that Persephone is kidnapped away from her mother, who she loves a lot, she's escaping from her mother, who has been like detrimental to all of her life. In a sense, I genuinely question to what extent is it really a feministic literature. <laughs> yeah, isn't that less so? Because not only are you dismissing Persephone's ability to go through that crisis, but you're also like no, kind of erasing how women can make a change, like how her mother made a change and how she's, you know, running to a man to save her. To and save kind her of thing. from it's the, the same problem. thing again, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I think that's the two side of um, the feminist literature that I find kind of interesting in our culture. On the one hand, you've got, obviously, like, the telling of Persephone. But on the other hand, you've got Snow White's, who <laughs> got to be a leader, otherwise you're not a feminist. Um, which really brings me back to the point of, like, really, what is feminism? You know? I don't know, for me, and I definitely, I don't study sociology, so I don't know the, all the definitions and everything, but for me, feminism is just, have growing up in a society that means that you have confidence that you're in an you have equal ability mm. right, and that you can do it and that's not saying that you know you're better than or you have more opportunities it's just saying that it's equal and whatever you do and whatever you achieve in life is your due you work for it and you get what you work for mm. i also think it's more to do with like the ability for you to do what you want to do without any social constraint on you because of your gender. I think that's what feminism is for me. And that could literally mean like if you choose to be a housewife, you can be a housewife. If you choose to be a leader and go bossing everyone, good on you. Um, yeah, I think 
I think it's that freedom of choice to like do what you want to do rather than like having to fit the mold of whatever expectation is set of you by society. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I think I don't know. I just find that the the swing of new feminism movement is a bit strong towards women having to be the leader. Otherwise, it is not quite enough. Yeah. It's interesting that it becomes, well, then there's one type of woman, like with one type of girl, which is to be the leader, to be the boss. Mm. Um, whereas, and I know this is a slightly different point, but it, it happens a lot in STEM or traditionally male-dominated fields where if you think of you know, a woman in STEM, you mm. have an image of like, Maybe a girl in a white lab coat with goggles and long blonde hair tied up. Oh, and, and or like, you know, heels. in Elle Woods, and <laughs> like that kind of thing. Yeah. But when you think of women in STEM, you don't think of, you know, say, women who don't look like that, maybe who are non-binary or any other variation of that, you know, traditional Elle Woods type character. So I think mm. feminism sometimes misses out on that there could be more than one type of woman. There's more than one way to be uh, a woman or any kind of minority. Mm. Um, you don't have to be a leader. You don't have to look a certain way. You know, you should still have that choice, as you said, to do whatever you want to do without societal repercussions. Mm. Also, like, when you talk about, like, Elwoods, I don't know why I started thinking about Barbie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. What are your thoughts on the Barbie movie, by the way? I went to see it with some friends. It was a lot of fun. We all dressed up. Um, I found it really funny. I know people got very emotional. Um, I just mm. thought it was very funny. I really liked Ken. I feel like a bit of a traitor to say that, but he was my favorite character. Um, I don't know. There were a lot of things you can kind of take and pick apart in it. Mm. Like, were you thinking of an aspect of it in particular that you wanted to talk about? Um... To be honest, I, I find it really interesting. A lot of, like, immediately after the movie came up, a lot of people have been complaining about how the movie, like, portrays women as better and men as worse to, like, elevate the whole idea of feminism. But I don't think that's completely the case. I think there are also elements in there where women were also equally as bad really yeah, there were definitely problematic woman figures in that movie hell um, yeah like very much so um even right from the beginning you could see it how they acted um it was almost a satire yeah on, you know let's take how women have traditionally been portrayed in film and in literature and let's flip the script but let's also do it you know slightly to the extreme um and show how ridiculous it is and mm. i think the backlash that we're getting is really interesting because that backlash is kind of what feminism kind of grew from, right? Mm. I feel like the other thing as well, like the movie focused a lot on like the typical bar, stereotypical mar mm. Barbie, which was Margot Robbie. But I think they sort of forget that the other Barbie, like the weird Barbie, I feel like her story, if you think about it, just because she doesn't get as much screen time doesn't mean she is not also an important figure in that whole film. And it's really interesting to see how she was treated like an absolute outcast because she doesn't fit the mold. She's not pretty. She's not perfect. She doesn't look and act like the 
stand pretty Barbie would. But it's really interesting how her character in the movie is also heavily emphasized as well. She had a major role in that whole film. Because without her, what is going to be the turning point for the film, you know? She's this kind of fountain of wisdom, almost. She had the answers. Um, Mm. Which was, yeah, really interesting that they gave that role to what would be considered an outcast in that world. Yeah, but it's... But, like, through the way that she's treated by other Barbies, like, being seen such an outcast and everything, it shows how it's not men who inflict stereotypes and, you know, values onto women. Women themselves sometimes do it as well onto other women. And I think when people, like, get really up in arms about, like, oh, you're, like, you're always, like, you know, downplay men so, like, you could elevate women... I don't think that's necessarily is the case in Barbie. I think all part, both party of society in that movie were problematic in themselves. Um, quite frankly, I still don't know what the message <laughs> of the movie is. <laughs> no, but it was interesting saying that you know the these flaws we see in society at the moment they're not necessarily inherent to men. If it was flipped, we probably see very similar problems, mm. um, which I think is a really interesting perspective kind of reminded me of a book I read. Um, it's called, like, The Power. Mm-hmm. It's written by somebody, I'm not sure if she was a student or just studied under uh, Margaret Atwood, um, but it's really interesting because it's kind of set in modern day, but it's a little bit sci-fi, just, like, a little bit for the premise, where women f- get this power, where it's, like, an electric charge where mm-hmm. they can shock men and, like, really hurt them. So the power in society flips. And it becomes almost a satire towards the end where it's, well, what would happen if women were in power? And it's not a perfect society. Um, and I think one of the lines that really stuck with me was, you know, there was a male character who had traditionally been, like, in a gang and was really powerful and expected to get his way. And he was saying um, to this group of girls, you know, can you come out with me? I don't feel comfortable going outside after dark um, alone. And it's kind of about how, well, one sex or the other having, say, all the power in society, that's never going to be good, regardless of who it is. Mm. I think kind of that's an interesting theme that's emerging, maybe more and more. I think that's a... Yeah, I think that's what Barbie was trying to, like, point out to us, is that it's not about, like, one side is better than the other. They're both equally as bad. <laughs> we um, want equality. That's I it. think... I think it's just a human urge to, once you have power, you just keep going and just stay in power. Because even if you look at the beginning of a movie when, like, women were in power, right, it's still got its flaws in a sense. Like, it weren't perfect, for sure. And vice versa, in the real world, when men were in charge, it wasn't perfect either. I mean, they both got their own problems. But, um... Yeah, it's really interesting because I think what they were trying to say is that when you're in a position as a minority and once you get a power for the first time, it's natural to go overhand and go overboard. I don't know if there's any stage where it like dies down and like it just flattened out or not, but it was just like really interesting to watch how the rise of power of both sides because at the end of a movie after the kingdom fall apart and women like gain power again. They were just, if you think about it, exactly like how Ken was when they first become the leader. I think what was really interesting about that was, I can remember right at the end of the movie, 
how the makers of Barbie were there in their suits and they asked the woman president, you know, so now everything can go back to normal, how it was before. You can forget this whole thing happened. And mm. the woman president said, well, actually, I think we might do some things differently. And it kind of gives you some hope that after seeing the other side of it, this society would place a bit more emphasis on equality between the two. Mm. I think that's a very in, like interesting way of like passing on the message. I think instead of just shoving it down like one side has to be better than the other, I think it really shows how both sides can be equally problematic and the idea is that we just, just look at a complete different way of see how feminism should be like portrayed. And that in itself I think is something Yeah. I quite like it actually. Um it's just a obviously a lot of us take it for face values and the message is kind of lost somewhere in between. But yeah. Mm. Barbies. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, the songs were a bop though. Oh yeah. I, I really do love the costume. I love the house. I thought it was very interesting how, I don't know, the, the way that Barbie moved, shower, eat, it's all very much like how I used to play Barbie when yeah. I was younger. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Have you seen Oppenheimer on I the other hand? I have not. I am going in this week or two with friends. I'm really excited. Personally, um, I think o- Oppenheimer is a better movie sim- cinematically. Cinematically? Yeah. Uh, that's what I've heard. There's um, also, I think, a good deal of controversy about Barbenheimer, mm. about you know the big sales thing of you need to go to them together, and you know you change your clothes and it's all over Instagram and it's like a cultural thing that you do. But there was at least some of the people who I talked to were kind of struggling with the idea that such you know a movie that dealt with such horrifying things was being tied to this more you know, weirdly flimsy, yeah, you know, um, kind of flippant movie. Um, and it kind of minimized the actual content of Oppenheimer, which I think was a really interesting way of seeing it. Mm. I mean, the two movies are definitely, like, worlds apart. Um, to be fair, one side you kind of talk, like, what, animated but non-animated? You literally talk about a door. It's kind of was, like, imaginary animated. And the other hand, you talk about some very real problem. I think it's the whole idea of opposite attract because they, like, so different, like two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I think that's why they definitely, you know, being able to go from one to the other and it, you know, how much it blew up online, right? People mm. want to be part of that. Even people who would never normally see one or other of the movies, they should go just to be part of the moment. But yeah, I personally feel like no one would go see, like, some of the people who watch Barbie is highly unlikely to go watch Oppenheimer unless they were like genuinely super interested in it but i guess the problem becomes if we're tying them together and i think it's great that they're you know both being watched and it maybe creates a bigger audience but then do we diminish what oppenheimer is trying to say mm. because it is a very serious movie about very serious events oppenheimer hit me really hard when i watch it i'm not gonna spoil it for you but um the sound effect of it like when you it's like a cinema film definitely is because when you sit in there and every time you hear the sound effect the whole body's like rumbles with the sound, <laughs> you know. It's, it's very emotional. I think, like Barbie. 
I know some of my friends cry in Barbie as well. I think it's emotional, but like it's not the same emotion. Barbie is emotion is a bit more like a like a happy mm. realization of life, kind of like appreciation of life and how happy it can be, kind of tears. Whereas Oppenheimer is more like a overwhelming kind of tears. There's a lot of things happening all at once and not to the same extent as everything everywhere all at once. That one was just chaotic. I think at one stage I feel like I need to go outside and breathe because I just can't breathe. <laughs> that whole movie was just chaotic energy. Um, but yeah, um, Oppenheimer for me, the ending hit the feelings very differently. when he got home that evening he just kind of lay in bed for like two hours having all these existential crises sparked mm. by the movie it was really intense yeah it it's a lot um you're gonna have to watch it to understand like no i have to watch it i, I feel almost like going and then something happens and i have to change my plan i feel like being a stem girl you would absolutely love the movie <laughs> um I'll be there for the science. You'll be there for the history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's also, I feel like you might um, connect with Oppenheimer to some extent. I mean, the movie emphasized how at the beginning when he first started, he was rejected by the community as well. Um, to some extent, I guess some of us could feel with that. The whole, it's not quite for you. But it's not because the field is not for you. He's in a wrong environment to work on what you want to work. So yeah, hmm. I definitely watch Oppenheimer again, but I'm not sure how I feel about watching Barbie again. <laughs> not that it's a bad film. It's just that it's one of those films where you're like, okay, I watch it, done. Whereas Oppenheimer is like, because there's so much going on, you have to watch it again to really grasp what they were trying to get at. Yeah, there's definitely certain movies that like lend themselves more to being watched again. Like, I know every year, you know, my family always goes back to watch an Israeli movie because it's just so much part of our culture, right? Mm. Um, yeah. And I think those movies just become really significant to a certain cultural group. Like, for example, this movie, um, Fiddler on the Roof, if you talk to anybody within a certain cultural group, they've all watched it, they've all heard of it mm. because it's just so, you have the complexity that makes it really relevant. Um, which, you know, not to say Barbie isn't relevant, but it's different. I think it's also depending on audience. I mean, like, for some of us, it's just, like, great. But for some others, it might just hit straight home, yeah. you know. I thought, I was talking to another friend of mine who is part of a trans community and a queer community. And she said to me that Barbie really appeals to her. And she, like, doesn't understand why it does, but something about Barbie just appeals to her and, like, her trans identity. And I'm like... That's great. Like, I'm really happy that, you know, that works yeah. for you. That's amazing. Like, I, I will never be able to comprehend why it is that way. But, like, if it does, then great. You know, I I'm happy for you. What's good about having so many different types of movies is they're never going to be a universal appeal. Mm. But as long as they find their audience, I think that's all that really matters in the end. Mm. I guess the same thing goes back all the way to the beginning of the conversation <laughs> with Snow White, where, you know, for example, it might not work for some of us who think, you know, feminism should be about making whatever choice is best for you, and it's not about you know, necessarily always being a leader. But for the people who 
in the stage of their life want to be empowered to be a leader, it might just hit the nail on the head for them. That's true. I agree with that, but I also feel like... As long as that's not the only model for um, femininity, I guess. Well, I don't know. It, it's feel like it's like that a lot recently with Disney. I mean, Elsa in Frozen 2 becoming... Actually, Elsa is an interesting character for Disney. Like, yes, on the one hand, she's queen. She all kind of, like, go out, do her own thing. But on the other hand, it also shows how she is willing to take help when she needed to. Like the Have you seen Frozen 2? Oh, yeah. 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 You know the part when she's, like, find out the truth about her history and everything? Mm. And then she frees at the bottom of a lake. She could just be like, no, I'm going to get out of it. But no, she like, willing to send a message to get help. Anna is a very interesting character from a feministic point of view. She started off as like a wimpy, happy, carefree person. And then she really overcomes all that and becomes a person who will go out of her way to help everyone. And then she ended up being queen, which is something that nobody ever expected. They're like, oh. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> like, but like, I think that, in, I feel like the feminist point in that film is less in your face. Like, on the one hand, go out there, be a, you know, go find your full potentials. Don't necessarily have to fall in love with a man in doing so. You can if you want to. I mean, Elsa didn't, which was nice, I think. Yeah. They weren't just magically both paired off at the end. Yeah. Um, was, like, <laughs> same with Moana, right? I mean, Moana yeah. is also a really good one. Yeah, I, you know, I quite like it. Um, she's like a leader, right? But she also asks for help, and she gets that help, and she you know, has real problems. Um, so I guess it comes back into, look, we can do it by ourselves and we have the resources, but it's also like okay to ask for help and to mm. make, help Nixie better and it made her better. Yeah. And she didn't marry the person who helped her in the end, which I thought was also really nice. I mean, to be fair, she was also 16. I thought it would be very weird. <laughs> it's like oh, I, I was watching it with a friend who had never seen it and they turned to me and they were like, please tell me they don't marry at the end. So it was definitely something that could have happened. That's true. Um, another like film that kind of overlooked a lot of like feminism is Lilo and Stitch. I never saw that one. You haven't seen Lilo and no. Stitch? I love Lilo <laughs> and Stitch. It's like it's kind of like heartwarmingly cute, especially like you watch a relationship between like Lilo, which is the younger sister, which is I think she's like six or seven years old, and Nina, who's the older sister who has to look after her child after the parents pass away. It's there's I don't think there's a male character that ended up marrying in the end. There was like the boyfriend of Nina and obviously like Lilo and the Alien Stitch. Um but it wasn't like meant to be like, uh, they're gonna get married in the end. No, it's just like a family friends mm. film. And it's really interesting because like although they both have a lot of struggle, like Nina always go out of her way to work to ensure that her sister is looked after and that social service wouldn't take her away. And I think that in itself is a feministic thing. Like, she's willing to not give up, keep going, and do everything she could to, like, you know, protect her family. Great. Yeah. Um, and keep in mind, that movie was made, like, before the 2000 as well. It belongs to one of the classic old films. So, to say that classic film is completely, like, woman waiting for a prince to come and, like, help her and pick her up is completely wrong i think mm. even snow white in her own rights and power at the time she was made she weren't exactly sitting around waiting for a man to come save her 
she found a house of strangers, which is whatever. But she worked. She didn't sit around like a princess waiting for them to serve her. She cooked. She cleaned. She did things that, quite frankly, a princess wouldn't do, realistically speaking. And she survived somehow. She was a bit naive, but she was also 16 years old. <laughs> but does that mean she's not feministic? I don't think so. I mean, she worked hard to survive in the situation she suddenly found herself in. Same with Cinderella. Yes, yeah, she was abused by her stepmothers, but the endurance that she keeps through those times and staying kind throughout those times in itself is a, a sign of strength and power. And I think for us to just completely dismiss all that and say, no, they want to be a leader. <laughs> I think you dismissing the smaller gesture of strength in people. And that in itself is also problematic, I think. Because then it makes people feel like, I'm not good enough because I haven't gone out there and be the leader that I meant to be. I just put up with this, but everyone else put up with this. So it's not really strength, it's just normal. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. Um, there's so many different types of strength. It's mm. not good just to focus on one. That might be, you know, the ability to go in front of a crowd and encourage them to do something. That's not the only way to be strong and confident. Mm. Um, I think yeah. strength does definitely like come differently for everyone. I mean, I know for me, I can give public speech. That's fine. So strength for me would be something else, like I don't know, endurance. But I know another friend of mine who is not really confident, she's very shy. And so for her to go up on the stage and give a speech, it's a whole new thing for her, you know, and she really give it her all. Does that mean that I am in the right to dismiss her of, you know, what she's achieved? No, just because I'm good at it doesn't mean other people are. And in the same sense, maybe she's really good at enduring like, you know, hardship and I am not. But does that make it right for her to judge me? No. So I think, like, definitely we need to acknowledge each other's differences and embrace that. And I think in the same sense with these movies, there are people who embrace the values that was exist at the time it was made. And for Disney to completely stop, shut on it and say, no, that's no longer the value that we're looking for today, you're basically telling some of these people that, quite frankly, you are not good enough anymore. It would just be better for you to just make a completely new character and say, we got that character, but we also have this character. Mm. And both of them are different, but both of them are equally good in their own sense. Yeah, there's no need to alienate. Ah, Humans. Tell me about it. <laughs> I am longing for the day where we acknowledge, we start acknowledging that extreme both ends are bad. I think pushing too much for one end of feminism is bad and pushing too much for the patriarchal life of women is equally as bad. But if we could find a balance in the middle, I think that's the perfect stripe to be at. Anyhow, we got three minutes. Three whole minutes. Three whole minutes. We've been talking for 40 minutes and we're now concerned about the last three minutes. Hmm. 
It is week six. It is week six. Bye, guys. I f- the temptation to talk about assignment, but also don't want to stress out the listeners about <laughs> assignment is high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is an assignment and exam season. Mm. I don't actually have exam this week, but um. Lucky. Do you? Yeah. Oh. Well, to those out there who are like Rosie, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We need it. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I do feel you. It, it is stressful when you have a lot of assignment. Then suddenly you have to study for an exam on mm. top. Um, the other thing as well, obviously, this semester exams start going back in person, and that is hard for a lot of us. Um, not so much with the writing. Well, what the knowledge per se. I find it hard to start writing by hand in two hours when I last it for my in-person exam. Mm. Yeah, I remember in high school, I think I trained for two years to take my IB exams where I just wrote everything by yeah. hand. And I lost that. Like, I haven't done that since. So Yeah, for me, it's been four years. <laughs> I haven't written by hand for four years. And it feels so strange mm. to do it again. Yeah, you just get tired so easily now. Yeah, and then I get like a massive lump. Yeah, but <laughs> the calluses start coming back. Oh, <laughs> and it hurts and... You know, halfway through and you're running tight and like time and then your hands are cramming up and you're like, no, I got to keep going. I got two minutes and every two, like last second or two minutes, like, you know. It all counts. Every letter you can squeeze in there. Yeah, like two more sentences for this, this thing. I can do it. Oh. I I feel like just as much as like feminism is not one mold fit for everyone, education shouldn't be a mold or fit for everyone either. Well, the like, standardization of education, that's a whole other topic that oh, will take hours, I think. So long to talk about. But interesting. You can come back in week nine and talk to me about <laughs> education instead of feminism. <laughs> uh, but it's also like, um, yeah, I I remember I had this friend who was ambidextrous and right with two hands. Oh, lucky. And I'm like, that's twice the power I need <laughs> to pass this exam. You are already at an advantage, you know, and it's great. Anyway, that's all we have the time for today. Uh, thank you for listening in. Hopefully, I remember my show names after the teaching break. But until then, <laughs> enjoy your break and good luck with your exam.